And welcome to Sunday Coffee. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield, and welcome inside the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi, tremendous customer service. Check them out at favorites.com. And go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Charlie, this morning I'm enjoying some tremendous blueberry cobbler from Strange Brew Coffee House. Strange Brew, three locations. I almost walked in this morning and got something different. I have a friend of mine who's telling me to get the albino squirrel. I have a friend who's saying get the Nicaragua. They were both on the tap this morning, but I was like, you know what? Today's a day. I don't need to try anything new. I want to go back to the old faithful. Today's a day. I'm going to turn the leaf. Today is my wife's birthday. I got up this morning, was very positive, told her happy birthday. Just stop. <laughs> You're burying the lead, man. Oh, no. So I went in and I got coffee and I said, add two shots to it. Well, good, good. And that's not espresso. No. <laughs> well, good for you. I drove by three churches this morning on the way to Strange Brew, and the only thing I could think of was we need to get out of here in a hurry because I need Jesus this morning. So, hey, let's look back at yesterday. Charlie, we talked about it last night on the post-game show, and we were trying not to be emotional. That's the thing. You want to be factual and not emotional. And looking Back at the game, there's a lot of people, and, and I'm in the, that text group. We talked about the text groups last week, and I know you're in text groups. There's a lot of people mad. I was mad last night, and I was I was very emotional last night. Have you been able to calm down after getting the, the good night's sleep? No, I got a terrible night's sleep, and I haven't calmed down, and I'm not happy. And although I might normally try to make the early service, this might be a night for me because – I've got to get in a better frame of mind before I head to a house of worship. I don't need to bring this attitude to a church right now. All right, so on uh, Friday, our Friday deep dig, we gave our numbers. We thought what were going to happen during the game. Very quickly, I had two interceptions. We had one interception yesterday. I said we needed eight yards for depth of target. We had six, which was the same as NC State. And I said we needed 15 pressures on the quarterback yesterday. We had just nine pressures on the freshman quarterback Hennigan the thing I remember about you Charlie and this is where I wanted to start with it you said one of your numbers was zero that you were going to have zero excuses if Memphis beat us do you still hold that frame of thought absolutely yeah you can go back and and we will there's a lot of things to unpack from this football game you gave them 14 points on a, a fumble that's a basic quarterback running back exchange can't do that no excuse for that We give them a 94-yard punt return after we make a great play to keep the ball in bounds. About to have them pinned back. But we don't do our job. The officials don't do their job. Footnote, lots to say about that in a moment. And you come back and you look at it, and we went dead. This is what happened to us in Louisiana Tech. We went dead in the middle. We Right now, we're a donut team. We're a hole in the middle of the game. And ultimately, that cost us. And The thing that is frustrating and perhaps should be a little bit encouraging, if you look at us right now, we have a little bit wrong in a lot of areas. Now, the good news is a lot of those little bits can be fixed. The bad news is we're three weeks in, we hadn't fixed them, and you better get busy. But there's not a single position group that's going to walk in the SEAL building today and sit down with our coaches and be able to fairly look each other in the eye and say, Man, we did our job. We did our we did everything we were supposed to. Because you look at it on defense, and we can say the defense played well. And they did. 
But who's the guy we talked about? We talked about Calvin Austin. Can't let him beat you. He beat you. And not only did he beat you, he beat your corners. He beat you head up. Even when you were grabbing him, trying to bring him to the ground and take the penalty, he beat you. We missed 13 tackles yesterday. So I say all that not to blame the defense at all. But what I'm pointing out is, look, we had some defensive linemen that didn't get off the field when we're trying to make a substitution that nullifies what would have been your second interception. And again, that was the bright spot of the ball game was our defense. Then you come back and you look at offense. And, boy, there's a lot to unpack here. I won't try to do it all just yet. But I will say that I don't think there is a single position group that can walk in that building and say, we did our job. I know that there's a group in Birmingham and a group of officials who absolutely cannot say they did their job yesterday. But, again, it shouldn't have mattered. You know, that's the thing we go back to. I've had people lighting me up both ways on my comments about the officiating because I both think it was terrible and inexcusable and sanctionable, and I also think it shouldn't have mattered. Yeah, that's where I am. And There's a lot of nuance here. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I had the same text conversations last night with a lot of different guys about, you know, they were like, Bart, you can't come out and say that there are no excuses and let the officiating go. I'm not saying that. I'm saying also. We were losing when that play happened. Yes, we were losing when the play happened. I'm going back to the point of we had multiple opportunities yesterday to make it where one call or two calls shouldn't have mattered in that game. Now, did they matter? Absolutely. Did they change the complexion of the game? Oh, yeah, they did. But I go back to the six drives in the middle of the game, like you just said. At the end of the second quarter, through the third, early fourth, you had six drives. I'm not even talking about that one play we got the sack right before the half. I'm talking about six drives. Six drives where you had 34 plays and 101 yards of offense, 2.97 yards per play, where you got nothing. You got nothing. And I go back to the point, and we said this a little bit last night on the postgame show, about how Mike Leach has said this offense is very similar, and it was derived off the wishbone. And to be honest with you, that's kind of what I feel like I'm watching. And I, this is not negative. This is just the way it is. This is just the style. I feel like I'm watching the passing version of Air Force, Navy, Army, in a situation of it's all great when it's working, when you're forcing ahead, when you are staying ahead of the chains. But you can't have negative plays. The first bad pitch for Air Force, you know that drive is going to end in a punt. time. If you get a holding call or if you get a legal procedure, you know that drive right there is ending with a punt because you can't overcome being behind the chains. Well, let me make your point for you. In our drives yesterday, in a drive where we had a penalty, the most we got was a field goal. None of our touchdown drives had a penalty during the drive. Well, and that was the penalty because we were so far down. We were at the six-yard line when we got that penalty. And then we got a hold on the, the field goal after we made. So at, at the end of the day, it didn't happen in the middle of the field. That's right. But to your point, if we got a penalty in a drive, the drive was effectively dead. We aren't explosive enough. We aren't deep throwing enough to be able to overcome penalties. We can't work behind the chains very well. Not at all. Okay, let's, let's handle the officiating that's the that's the elephant in the room. And the SEC comes out last night and you know they they give their hey we made the mistakes. 
didn't say we're sorry, but it really wouldn't have mattered. I just think, here's the thing, Charlie. When I was 18 years old, and the first time I was at Northside Park in Philadelphia, and I was going to umpire a baseball game, and a little tid- tidbit, I was umpiring in the field, and the home plate umpire that day, I kid you not, was Marcus Dupree. Seriously. How about that? Yeah. And I remember Stump, who ran the umpires, and he got us together. He said, guys, if you've never umpired before, let me tell you what you need to do. There are going to be calls that could be called either way, and you are going to upset some coaches and some parents, but you've got to be decisive. Here's the thing I ask you to not do. Don't mess up the obvious call. Because when you mess up the obvious call, you get the people who don't understand anything about the sport upset. And so that's where I go back to what happened yesterday. And I go back to the point of who's watching the game in Birmingham? Who is making the call to stop the play? Is it one guy? Is it to, to me, as much money as there is in college sports right now, I put five. I put a team of guys on every game, and they're all watching different points and different monitors. And I know you're going to get in there in week four because nothing is going. You know, nothing is going wrong. And you may review three plays, and they're saying, "Man, this is a waste of money. And this is a waste of time." But you keep one play from happening. You keep the third down play at Auburn last night. That's a laughing stock of the country right now, making Penn State punt on third down. You keep. Plays like yesterday of picking up a ball when the official is standing three feet behind. And, Charlie, you and I were watching this game together. And what did we say when it happened in live time? The guy was blowing it dead. Mm -hmm. And how did nobody, how did nobody see that? Whether it be officiating, whether it be coaching, I don't know how nobody sees to stop because the guy's waving his arms. So I go back to the point of you can't let things like this happen. It's inexcusable for it to happen, but it's inexcusable to have the opportunity for something like that to happen. And see, now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> well, I'm <about> to, <laughs> well, I'm about to join you a little bit. And number one, the thing that is frustrating to me is that when that game is over, Mike Leach and the people he reports to are all going to get asked questions. They're all going to be asked, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why didn't you do these things? And they're going to have to stand in front of a group of people and take a microphone and answer those questions. When you look at the officiating yesterday, what you got was this pre-printed release on this graphic. And I'm a little, I'm kind of past graphic announcements, by the way, now too. You know, not everything has to be on a red or blue background with, you know, anyway. Everything we do now is a production. Yeah, just, I would much rather somebody get behind a microphone with cameras rolling and read the statement and own it than put a stupid logo on it and send it out from an anonymous Twitter account that nobody knows. I'll leave that aside. I'm just proud the SEC officiating account works. Yeah, that's right. I should probably at least. Because I haven't seen anything from it in five years, but go ahead. I should probably thankful for small blessings, I guess. But here's the thing that bothers me. Those people are going to be held accountable. Those people have jobs at risk. Mike Leach, and whether you feel sorry for Mike Leach or not in terms of the money he's making, you know, there's a lot of assistant coaches out there whose fortunes and lives and families depend on wins and losses in games like this. And to have things impacted by an obvious error is bothersome, and a Twitter graphic doesn't fix it. It just doesn't. 
the other point that I would say for this, I don't know who the back judge was. I don't know who the official coming in blowing it dead was. One of the reasons that I don't know, and Steve Robertson pointed this out on Twitter last night, if you look at the official box score, the name of that guy isn't on it. If you pull up the notes that we use during games, kind of the the special media stat packages and things that help us dive into numbers, the linesman and the back judge, there's a blank. There's a blank right now. I would love to ask somebody, because I think I'm fair to engage in conspiracies right now, where are those names and when were they removed? Okay, let me ask you this question. And we always talk about the people that ruin it for everybody. Okay, I walked into a convenience store the other day, and there was a sign on the door that said, no weed, no meth, and no drinking in the bathroom, right? So what does that tell you? That somebody smoked weed and somebody's done meth in that bathroom. You've got to always have idiots that cause the rules to happen. Do you think that's a byproduct of the Kentucky fans a few years ago being complete idiots and calling John Higgins the official and calling him and threatening his life and threatening his livelihood and putting bad things, putting bad re- reviews online about his business All because right. he was refereeing a basketball game. I'm, I'm sure that's probably just a protection from the crazed idiots that are on the outside frame of your fan base. And I don't necessarily take issue with that, but here's what I want to hear. If you're not going to tell me who it is and you aren't going to let me find a place, inappropriate as it may be, I still know that it was Dick Pace who screwed up the Egg Bowl, okay? Oh, yeah. I'm not hunting down Dick Pace. But here's what would help me. Throw me this. Tell me what's going to happen. Okay, so there's kind of there's kind of two parts to these things, right? Step one, acknowledge your mistake. Step two, tell me how you're going to remedy it. What we got was an announcement with a litany of mistakes. And by the way, they didn't get all of them. There's still more. But nobody has told me what's going to happen. Is that it? Is that the end result? And here's why I think something ought to happen. Because as much as there is a failure of replay, as much as there is a failure of process, maybe we didn't, maybe we screwed up and didn't have enough people, we didn't have somebody with the bat phone to be able to call down to the sidelines and say, hey, something's got to change. Well, you know, Major League Baseball, you got, you got one guy whose job is to sit there and watch it on TV and call you and say, boy, stop the game, we may have a challenge here. And to be honest with you, Charlie, I'm going to go a step further. You know, the people that are, are texting or tweeting or saying, hey, where were we? Where were we to stop the play? First of all, it shouldn't, it shouldn't rely on us to have to stop the play. But I understand that point. I understand the frustration of not, hey, why are we not asking to stop that play? How could we not see that the guy was blowing it dead? And I'm not talking about just Mike Leach. There's a thousand things going on in front of him. He may not have seen it. But surely to goodness, somebody down there did. Somebody can sit there and yell and say, hey, we need to stop this, boys. And if not, you've got a communication issue or maybe a confidence issue and not being willing to share the info. But here's the last thing I want to say about this, and then I probably need to get off of it. Ultimately, the thing that bothers me, you want officials to be right. You want them to be accurate. You want them to be good. That's a competency issue and you're going to have some who are good, some who are bad, and you're going to have your Angel Hernandez, Major League umpire types who are terrible. But that's a competency issue. What bothers me, and maybe I'm out of line by saying this, what I do expect from my officials without fail is integrity. And I think what happens in that play right there, if you kick it, that's not good. Own in it. fact, it's bad. 
But what's worse is when you don't go to the officials and say, guys, I was signaling it, Deb, we need to look at this. I may have screwed this up. He knew that he did that, and it's on him to be a professional and to call your own foul. He didn't call his own foul. He waited somebody else to call it on him, and to me, that is what is offensive. You had multiple players weighing the same number. You had multiple extra guys running on the field. It was just a complete, utter debacle of a play. Complete, utter debacle. And here's the thing. Okay, going forward, talking about just how crazy that that could happen in the college game today. We talk about Dick Pace, and we talk about the Egg Bowl, and things of that nature happening. It's always happened when you go to Tuscaloosa. Everybody in the league knows it's a joke right now outside of the league about going to Tuscaloosa and the holding penalties and all the things that used to go on over there when you didn't have TV and you didn't have review. That's the reason review is in play. And things egregious of that nature should never. I go back to the whole point. I don't care if you got to put five people on a game in Birmingham over there in the control center. That way, if a guy wants to go get a Diet Coke and get some – Cheesy puffs. You got to sell somebody watching the ball game. I don't I mean, care what it takes. That can't happen. It cannot happen. But friends like this that are on league office, heaven forbid we'd had AAC officials. Oh, absolutely. Or Mountain West officials like we did in 2000, <laughs> 2001. All right. So, Charlie, here's the thing, and I'm not doing this to discredit whatsoever and because I have a lot of friends at Memphis – that work in the athletic department at Memphis. I know a lot of great people who have degrees from the University of Memphis or Memphis State of that nature. But I am not going to sit here and say we got beat by a better football team. I am not going to sit there and say, hey, well, crazy bounces happened against a good team. We should not have lost that football game yesterday. We, we lost to ourselves, don't you think, at the end of the day? Yep. If you look at it, I said this last night, I don't know if we're bad. I don't know if we're kind of good. I don't know if we've got a chance to be really good. Here's what I do know. We aren't good enough to overcome in one game a bad officiating call, a 94-yard touchdown return, six dead possessions in the middle of a game, and a fumble that the other team picks up basically on an unforced error for a touchdown. We're not good enough to overcome that for sure. And plays where you're coming off an interception and you get inside the 10-yard line on fourth and goal and you don't score. And I went back last night and I said this about – throwing the fade route on third down and goal from the two. I mean, I'm just not a fan of the fade route on third down or fourth down. I'm just not. What's crazy about that is we, we kind of went into discussion about it. And you said, hey, it was a good pass. It was a good pass. And I, I don't fault Polk at all. I thought it was a well-defended play. There are just so many things that have to happen for that percentage throw to come to fruition. And then you go last night in the biggest game in the country going on, Auburn and Penn State. And Auburn down by eight – is inside the five-yard line late in the game, and on fourth down, what do they throw? Fade route. It goes out of the back of the end zone. You don't even give your guy a chance to get tangled up in the end zone. I don't understand it. I come back to the point that you see this every Saturday. I mean, you see this every Saturday of, of questions that you that you possibly could have about a play call here, a play call there. And so – All right, I think we've got to we've, – we've kind of tackled one of the elephants in the room, and that was the officiating. I want to talk about – our offense, and in particular our passing. Okay. Let's just rip it off. Let's talk quarterback play a minute. If we were to go on Twitter, if we were to go on message boards, if we were going to our text groups, you see two very diametrically opposed groups. You see guys who are saying our quarterback isn't any good. He's not able to throw it down the field. You see other guys say, 
but your quarterback completed 50 out of 67 passes for 419 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Here's what I would take away from all that. There is a chance. I saw somebody respond to something on Twitter and say, both of these things can be true. You know, when you throw it 67 times, we can find plays that Will Rogers missed receivers. We can find plays where we were way too conservative checking down. Conversely, we can go find some good throws. We can find some plays where his arm didn't look good enough, and we can find a touchdown pass at the end of the game. Here's my take on it. It doesn't do us a lot of good to sit around and talk about arm strength or anything else. It is what it is. You can yell at me all day long, and I'm not going to be six feet tall. I'm stuck at 5'10". To some degree, it doesn't matter what we do, what we say. That is what it is. So now what are you going to do about it? Now what are you going to do with it? Now how are you going to work with it in the context of what we have? I don't know the degree to which Will has been coached out of avoiding turnovers or coached into avoiding turnovers. But here's what I would say. I almost think this offense, in my opinion, is undeniably better when it has a little bit of tempo, when it's a little bit on the move, when it is being more aggressive than it has been. If you go look fourth quarter against La Tech, fourth quarter yesterday, when we have to play with a purpose, we have to play with desperation, we're able to throw it down the field with some success. Here's what I would like to see. Two weeks in a row, by the way, by pro football focus, our quarterback has had zero turnover-worthy throws. That's what I was about to say. I was going to ask you the question out of the 67 balls yesterday, how many of them were aggressive, were aggressive plays? And I'm not talking about sometimes you got a guy 20 yards downfield and you throw it to him and you say, man, that was aggressive trying to stretch the defense where the guy was wide open. So, I mean, how many out of the 67 balls that were put in the air yesterday – how many chances were taken? And it's it's hard to quantify that. What I'd say is, you know, pro football focus measures what they call big-time throws, and we had two. And I think both those came on the final drive, you know, the final, final touchdown that we had. So you go back, and I'm going to say something I can't imagine that I'm saying. If I were addressing the MSU fan base, I would say, here's what I would like to do for the LSU game, and I'd like you to play along. Let's give our quarterback the freedom to throw some interceptions. And what I mean by that is I think that interception, that pick six against Louisiana Tech, arguably hurt us worse than just those points because it's like we've gotten conservative. But when we've had to not be, we've been pretty good. All right, so go back to those six drives where a lot of those end in punts. If we throw an interception 40 yards down the field instead of punting the ball, if we throw one 30 yards down the field instead of punting the ball, that's okay. But part of saying, I want to throw deep, I want to throw deep, means you have to take chances. Be willing to live with the negative effects of those chances. I am. I'm willing to make that trade. And again, let me be clear. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know. It's real easy to sit in the stands and say, well, the quarterback's checking. Now, I don't know what he is being coached to do. I think there is somewhat of a conservative vibe around this offensive scheme. My question, though, is would we be better off maybe being a little more turnover worthy? So does it make you – let me ask this question, Charlie. As a quarterback, does it make you, one, passive, or two, more hesitant? Because you know you've always got that check down. You know in the back of your mind you've always got that flaring running back. And does you know what we're trying to do of being conservative – does it make you hold on to the ball even longer? I think it does because I saw a couple of times yesterday, and as I'm watching, I'm listening to Matt White, and I, and I love listening to Matt do a ball game because I think he's so good during the game. And by the way, I've heard a lot of, 
a lot of uh, conjecture about the TV broadcast yesterday, go to syncmygame.com. That's what I did yesterday. And as I'm listening to Matt, and he's talking about, I think one play we had Malik Heath open on a crossing route 20 yards downfield. We had Jaden Wally open on a 10-yard crossing route in the intermediate. But then it's the hold on the ball the half second too long and then hit the eject button, and I'm going to swing it out to the right flats to Dylan Johnson. And you end up getting three yards out of the play. And so I kind of go back to what you're saying right there is, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know if that's checked down. I don't know what, if it's coming from the sideline. I don't know. But in that situation where you had Malik Heath wide open coming across the middle at 20 and you had Wally wide open at 10 and then you're throwing it out on the, on the right side, somehow from a mental standpoint, you've got to hit that 20-yard. You've got to. I think back to a lot of our discussions in baseball where if you – like batting average isn't the statistic anymore. Now what we're looking at is on-base plus slugging. We want you to give up a little of your batting average to hit more home runs, and that may be where we are a little bit in the passing game right now. We need to give up some passing percentages and be willing to throw it down the field a little bit more. You know, his numbers actually throwing it long this year are good. He's completed more than he hasn't. Yesterday he was three for five on throws over 20 yards. Well, it was 75% overall pass, 50 of 67, 75% for 419 yards. In my lifetime growing up, if I would have ever thought that Mississippi State would have a quarterback complete 50 of 67 for 419 yards and three touchdowns, and then you come in here on the next day saying, man, we've got to be more aggressive. Well, I and, at, and then let's look at it by, by kind of different levels. If you take away the screen passes, the balls behind the line of scrimmage, he was still at 67%. If you look at balls only – 10 yards or more down the field, he was 8 of 13. So we we completed some passes. The question kind of goes back to the distribution. And here's the thing I would argue. There is some value to having somebody just go take the top off the defense now and then because if you do that, get your safeties backing up and it opens up some of the shorter throws. Again, I go back to it's nuanced because it's really easy. The most popular thing in the world in sports is to complain about the quarterback and ask for the backup. I think we have to look, too, at some of the receiver play. There were some times they were open, and then there were a lot of times the separation isn't what people think it is. It's interesting how many times people will say, well, that guy was wide open. Well, he's wide open because he's running between one zone and into the other. By the time the throw can get there, he ain't going to be open anymore. And then you got to look at this. Where was your pass blocking? I'm not an expert in grading pass blocking, but when you look at the sites that do, Pro Football Focus and others, we were bad. And we were really bad at right tackle and on both the spots on the left side of your offensive line from a pass blocking standpoint yesterday. Well, it kind of goes back to of if you're not going to be able to run the football, you've got to do something to keep linebackers at bay. And you talk about right now, teams are able to sit back with the eight or sit back with the seven, whatever they're able to do. Their linebackers are at – four yards where if you're throwing over the top, maybe they're at six because they can be at four yards because they know that we're not going to run the ball effectively against them. Now, losing marks yesterday early, you wonder what that does to you. Did I think it hurt? Yes, I do. But two, our inability to run the football at all. I mean, you look at Memphis. I mean, Memphis, even though they're throwing the ball down the field, they have the ability to run the football at times, and find seams. 
I'm trying to think back, Charlie, in the three games of any time we hand the ball to a running back in between the tackles where we've got anything, anything that's not self-manufactured because there are no seams there. Am I wrong on saying that? Would you believe that yesterday when you factor out sack yardage, we were only outrushed 90 to 63? We had four and a half yards to carry to their 3.8. That's numbers telling me that I'm, I may be a little wrong. That's facts instead of emotion. I've got a lot of emotion right now. Well, but then what you go back to, I think, to kind of fit into your point, though, is sometimes numbers, when you only have 16 carries, 13 that didn't involve sacks, 14, sometimes one play kind of swings that number. And so that's one of the things, too, when you start to – averages are very difficult and can be problematic when you start looking at average because you can say we averaged so many yards per play, but two plays may really stretch that out. Same deal yesterday. If you take away Dylan Johnson's 14-yard run, well, now where are you? You know, because Jernigan, long a four, Marks, a long a five. So you can always have that one in a small sample size. That one outlier can pull things up. I think your point is actually fair. When you go back and you look at it, we aren't able to consistently run the football. And the thing that gets me, and this is one where my mindset perhaps and my experience growing up interferes with it, but isn't there part of you that when you get down to the two-yard line, you just want to see the jumbo package? You just want to see kind of be the big, strong team and push it in. And it feels like once we get down to that spot, it's a really tough area for us. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've morphed into that team that, you know, 10 years ago everybody was looking at each other and saying, what what are we doing? When you get to third down and half a foot and you're running out of the shotgun. Yeah, and, of course, right. <laughs> you remember that everybody used to say, what are teams doing when we're running out of the shotgun? Yesterday on average depth of target, that's where the ball is is met with a receiver and kind of going back to your point, the outlier. You look at Makai Polk, his average depth of target was 12.9. So I'm sitting there saying, man, we're throwing the ball down the field of Makai Polk more, but he had really one play. He had one play, that over-the-top play early in the game where you go down, and that pulls that average, the long of 41. That was a 41-yard pass play. So it pulls that average way up. Malik Heath on the outside, 8.2 depth of target. Jaden Wally, 7.3 average depth of target. And that's where they're catching the ball. We went after Tulu Griffin one time yesterday. Tulu Griffin ran one kickoff back yesterday. And got tackled. He caught a squib ball. Of course, they kicked it away from him. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, I have no idea how practices go. But that guy's electric. And you got to figure out a way to get him the ball. You've got to figure out a way to get him the ball. And we're not getting him the ball at all. And I don't know the answer. But I know there has to be one. He's just – you go back and you say, hey, this is a team that can use playmakers. It is a little bit of a problem when – I won't even say arguably your best playmaker – can we just say he is our best playmaker? Is there even an argument about it? I don't think there's any doubt. He's certainly your most electric guy. He had one pass thrown his way. And that's not just an issue of quarterback decision-making. Let me be clear about this. Because when you start to say, well, he was only targeted once, it makes it sound like your quarterback isn't looking for him. He was only on the field for seven offensive snaps, seven plays. And so it's not like we had an opportunity to target him. Well, at the end of the day, at 10,000 feet, here's the thing. We have been very undisciplined in three games. Every time you look back at a game, we're talking about the number of penalties and what it does to you. We had nine penalties yesterday for 64 yards. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. 
when you start talking about undisciplined play, wherever it is, and it's in different places, whether it's holding penalties, whether it's a false start penalty, whether it's taking a timeout that you didn't have to burn in the second half because you got it down to two seconds on the play clock. Hey, we had third down and goal from the six when we had the delay of game penalty early on. So what if you don't have that penalty? You may score a touchdown and get seven instead of three. Our dead spot yesterday that we've talked about started with 4.06 to go in the second quarter. It ended with 5.36 to go in the fourth. So basically 28 and a half minutes. That's the period of time that you talked about, the six drives, 101 yards. During that period of time, I'm not even going to talk about defensive penalties. And by the way, you had a big one. You had a really, really big one. Because you didn't get off the field. Because we weren't sprinting off. During that dead period that we were talking about, here's what you had. You had a holding that nullifies a nine-yard pass play. So it's you call it a 10-yard penalty in the books. It was a 19-yard swing. That drive ends up bogging down. We can't pick up the first, can't overcome the penalty. We had a false start. We had an unnecessary roughness on an offensive lineman hitting somebody after the play, and we had two holding penalties on one play that weren't accepted. If you go back, I think – And, Charlie, on that play, on that play, you had two guys holding. We really had a false start on that play. Yes. They were pointing at it because we raised up early. So we got away with one penalty, and then we committed two on the same play. And so all this goes back to say, if you look at it, I think every room is going to go in there today and say, we've got something we've got to fix. And the thing I think probably that has me a little more on edge this morning than I I like to be is that if you fix any one of those things yesterday, the outcome is probably different. If you get off the field, you get an interception and the outcome is probably different. If you don't have the punt issue if we just, you can kind of if, if, if yourself to death. And boy, here's another one we haven't talked about. And boy, this is, when a game that comes down to the wire like this, it really lends itself to the what ifs because they're just any one thing. After the interception and we get the ball inside the 10 and we don't score, we don't take the points, and we can debate that all day, the momentum changed. And you talk about complementary football, right? Defense does something really good, gets you the ball back. Offense can't take advantage. I understand, and this doesn't look good from a hindsight perspective, I very much understand the coaching mindset of we're going to go for it, and if we don't, our defense has been playing great. We're going to have them backed up too. We'll get the ball back at midfield, come score anyway. Who knew they were going to go on a 98-yard drive at that point? Well, in today's world of college football, sooner or later, the way that offenses are built, sooner or later, most times in games, unless you're Clemson this year, Sooner or later, you're going to put something together. Sooner or later, you're going to get hot and you're going to get in tempo. And that's what they did. They got in tempo in that drive. And that was really the only time yesterday they got in tempo and got 97 yards. So at the end of the day, yes, I agree with the statement of, hey, let's go for it on fourth down and two because we haven't given up anything on defense. But sooner or later, you're playing with fire in today's offense. Sooner or later, somebody's going to get hot over a seven, eight play period. And that's what Memphis did. They just got hot over that seven or eight play period. So, okay, Charlie, so looking back real quick, on Friday we had our tracks plus deep dig, and we went through all these numbers. I talked about how we needed two interceptions. We had one. And dropped one and had another waved off by penalty. Right. I said we had to have more pressures. We didn't have as many pressures as I thought we should have had. And then down the field, we didn't hit on plays down the field, kind of going back to our point of taking the Band-Aid off and going to that next level. And so none of my numbers hit at all on Friday. 
you were talking about the zero excuses. We talked about your numbers. And, of course, that was on Friday on the deep dig, the tracks plus deep dig. On Friday, we went to the Mid-South Act Show. If we want to make a light point of this, if we want to steer away a little bit from the negativity, Charlie got on a skid steer on Friday, did a little donut out there. So how, I mean, how did it feel, Charlie? Are you ready to go out and buy some equipment now? I thought I was kind of a natural-born equipment operator. I think heavy machinery and Charlie Winfield are just a marriage that was meant to be. I got a tweet from Jimmy Shannon, who's in charge of all the grass on campus. And by the way, the Bermuda is just phenomenal on campus right now. They've got all the weeds and stuff out of it. And Jimmy's like, hey, I give that, I give that job, I got a job right now driving that skid steer. Now, it was pretty cool to go out and, and talk to, to all the guys, Jason Williams and all the guys at Tracks Plus the other day, and they were showing us all the equipment that they have, whether it be the skid steers, whether it be the excavators, that Barco equipment that they put in the forestry with the mulchers and things of that nature it's an eye-opening deal i mean for for you talk about last week with the talking to jerry the king lawler about how 12 year old charlie and bart were kind of geeked out talking to him eight year old to 10 year old bart who was enthralled with machinery i was kind of geeked out the other day with all that stuff out there at the mid-south ag show by tracks plus no really cool they can turn a tree into sawdust in in no time all right, let's look ahead. Brought to you by Bank First. Bank First, a better way to bank. They have locations in Mississippi and Alabama. Growing bank, great customer service, commercial loans, mortgage loans, looking for a refinance, anything you need. Looking to buy a boat, looking to buy a house, looking to buy anything. Give them a call. Bank First, a better way to bank. So looking ahead, Charlie, hey, you brought up a good point last night when you said today is not good. Well, yesterday is not good, but you can't let – one loss turn into multiple losses. This is going to be a tough one to flush. And you've got LSU coming in, which is a this is a winnable football game this week, and we'll talk about it more during the week on out of left field and then have our tracks plus deep dig next Friday. But going into the week, this is a winnable game, and you can't let moping around of what happened in the Liberty Bowl affect you on Saturday when LSU comes calling. And, boy, it's going to be tough. I expect there's going to be a lot of – long faces in the SEAL building today. And I expect there are going to be many people having their morning coffee today not terribly happy and and just frustrated. And I get that. But somehow, if you go back and look at Mike Leach's years, he's had some losses in some of his even best seasons that kind of make you scratch your head, but then they've been able to put together some big wins. LSU's beatable. This is far from a perfect football team. I do expect we'll see a defense for LSU that doesn't play it the way they did last year. No, I don't think you'll see as much man as you did last year. And I don't know whether to be happy or upset that we're playing at 11. As a general rule, I favor a constitutional amendment outlawing 11 a.m. games. But, you know, historically, you always feel like LSU either home or away. The earlier you wake them up, the better off you are. And so, I don't know. But – Either way, like it or not, somehow Mississippi State's going to have to get up off the canvas. You and I are going to have to get up and be ready to go at 9 a.m. for our pregame show. Mm. Well, hey, at the end of the day, I know your coffee doesn't taste good this morning. I know yours doesn't out there in Radio Land. Mine tastes great. It tastes great. It's not going down real well just because of what we saw yesterday. It's a frustrating – yesterday was frustrating. I mean, this yesterday was frustrating on a lot of different levels, and – I go back to the point of, hey, I understand it. I understand every piece of frustration in the world, 
and hey, we're all frustrated right now. Thirty-one twenty-nine, Memphis over State in the Liberty Bowl yesterday. Bulldogs now two and one on the season. We'll have LSU this coming weekend, as we talked about at eleven a.m. Charlie, I'd like to say I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the company this morning. I enjoyed getting out of bed and kind of getting my day going in a positive way. Once again, happy birthday to my beautiful wife, Jen. Can't remember how old she is. Anyway, hey, appreciate it. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys listening to Sunday Coffee.